Hi, and welcome to the Hospital IQ Podcast. I'm Michael Krogman. With us today to discuss what hospital leaders and executives are thinking about as they plan their COVID-19 recovery is healthcare industry advisor and board member, Tim Chapman. Tim, thanks for being here. And could you please introduce yourself? Uh, great, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. I've spent uh, about 35 years serving hospitals and the healthcare industry more broadly. 23 years of that was with McKinsey and Company, where I was a leader in their healthcare and operations practice. About seven years as president of Steris' healthcare group, where I lived in the operating room, sterile processing department, and the like. For the past seven years, been working with health systems and hospital IT companies as an advisor, board member, consultant, et cetera. So over three decades of hospital experience. So we know the COVID-19 pandemic has had a massive impact on hospitals. As ORs and health systems look to recover from this pandemic and get business back to normal as much as possible, how can executives create a safe environment for patients, caregivers, and staff so that people feel comfortable coming into the hospital during this recovery period? That's a great question. I'm hearing from healthcare executives that this is the biggest issue they face with restarting operations. And you know, Michael, if you think about it, there's always been reticence about going to a hospital. I mean, they're big, they're scary places, not just for patients, but for their families. And this invisible COVID enemy just exacerbates fear that already existed. It's extended to employees, though, so that's pretty unique. But there's no doubt in my mind that it's going to take time for the patients and some of the caregivers to become comfortable returning back to campus and back to these hospitals to receive and provide care. So the question a lot of people ask is, what do we do about this? And I think it's going to be all about safeguarding and educating patients and caregivers and by extension, their families. And by far the most important action that the leaders can take is ensuring that the testing capabilities are in place, an absolute must have. And of course, the CMS and state guidelines are out there adhering to those guidelines and protocols. And perhaps the simplest thing that health systems can do is have a double down, triple down on comprehensive housekeeping and infection prevention capabilities. Make a big deal out of this. The hand hygiene business, visual management matters. And if you're a hospital that's big enough, consider dedicating capacity, space, beds, ORs to COVID versus non-COVID. And above all else, communicate, communicate, communicate. I talk about visual management, hanging things all over the walls, making sure employees are aware of all of the things that you're doing so that your employees can become advocates and disciples. And to make a statement that I believe is true, the safest place in the world to be during COVID is in a hospital. But I do think it's going to take time. I've been hearing health systems say it's going to be first quarter of 2021 before we get close to pre-COVID volume. And you know, fear is an incredibly powerful motivator. And the only way to deal with fear is to provide confidence. Some health systems and hospitals have already reacted to the financial impact with permanent and temporary measures. But further reductions might not be feasible when trying to ramp back up. How can executives ensure they have enough cash on hand to address the increased expenses if demand is slow to recover and revenues don't rise quickly? How are they going to balance that? When you're a fixed cost driven business like a hospital, and you shut off elective procedures, those fixed costs cost a lot of money. Even the federal government doing their best to help, it just isn't going to be enough. Everyone has done a lot of the austerity actions. You've heard about furloughing staff, reducing compensation for the senior management team, delaying or stopping all capital and construction projects, delaying payment on most, if not all, non-essential purchases to preserve cash. 
Beyond that, Michael, there aren't any real silver bullets. But what I've been telling people, there is a premium to restart poorly, and that premium is on consumed cash unnecessarily. The number one thing I've been working with uh, management teams to do is to think about configuring their staff schedules accordingly. Hospitals are very labor intensive, and the risk of being overstaffed under a normal environment was always far less than it is to be understaffed. You never wanted your patients to be unsafe. But we're in very, very different times. The, the risk pool has flopped. The risk of overstaffing and overconsumption of cash is now far greater than being understaffed. So what I'm telling health systems to do is to use artificial intelligence, forecasting algorithms and methodologies to make sure you're being fact-based in staffing. You can no longer staff to capacity. You got to staff to demand and demand needs to be forecasted. The second thing I've been telling folks to do is the supply chain is absolutely right for cash savings. Every healthcare entity is struggling with the economic shutdown, including device and pharmaceutical companies. And if your health system has two or three or four suppliers for a given cost category, they should use a rapid repricing protocol to negotiate steep discounts in order to move market share. So I can go from four to two. The two remaining suppliers will be willing to give you very significant discounts on price. They need the volume just as much as the hospitals need the volume. The third thing I've been talking to folks about is given the fear that pervades every patient's mind today, the probability of overconsuming is very low. People don't want to be in a hospital. The doctors don't want their patients to be in the hospital. Insurance companies' medical loss ratios are at an all-time low. As a result, it makes no sense to disallow procedures that are being requested from the few patients that are in the hospital that need it. And the last thing, again, no silver bullets, the last thing I would be doing if I were on the board or a senior management team is I would be lobbying the state and lobbying the feds to essentially convert the accelerated CMS payments from an accelerated payment to a grant. I know several small community hospitals who will not be able to pay back those accelerated payments. They will go bankrupt. So there absolutely needs to be a lobbying effort to convert those to like the PPP loans, make them a grant and forgiven. There might not be one straight path to recovery, and it's possible that healthcare systems or hospitals will bounce from strategy to strategy trying to find their way. You touched on this in your opening answer about the importance of open and frequent communication. So what's the best approach for a communication plan that will address the frequent changes across the organization to decrease any confusion and concern? People will look at management teams bouncing around to say, that's not strategy, that's just bouncing around and it doesn't inspire confidence. But leaders need to be very purposeful and transparent in their restart strategy. It's going to require a lot of audibles. And audibles shouldn't be confused with change in strategies because the reality is management's trying to do two things. Restart operations safely and preserve the financial foundation of the enterprise to continue to take care of patients. So when new information emerges, management teams need to absorb that and they need to respond to it very quickly. I look at this as a beacon on the hill. We know our beacon on the hill is taking care of patients and having the financial fortitude to do so. The issue right now with all of this uncertainty is the pathway we take to get there. So I've told hospitals, you put in place a command center, keep that command center mindset in place, keep using the daily huddles as an executive team and focus it on safety, focus it on volumes. And absolutely, Michael, to your point, communicate frequently. And when that information and these data lead us to make a change in plans, make those decisions, communicate them, and explain why. 
there's an old communication principle that continues to hold true today. And it's very simple, which is what employees don't know, they'll make up. So frequent and substantive communications of what's happening, why it's happening, is the antigen to the rumor mill. And the reality is everybody wants to aim for that beacon on the hill. Take care of patients, be financially solid in doing so, and let's get back to pre-COVID business. Well, on that note, how important is it during this time for executives to be accessible and visible, even if it's as simple as just walking the halls? I don't think there's anything more important that the executive team can do. Management by walking around has always been talked about and being a good use of leaders' time. But with COVID and restarts, now more than ever, it's hugely important. You want your senior executive team to be everywhere, walking the floors, in the waiting areas, in the operating rooms, in the cafeterias, eating lunch. The C-suite needs to lead by example. You want your employees saying, hey, it must be safe here because the executive team is outside of their offices all the time. You absolutely want to continue to communicate. Daily broadcast messages to all employees can be helpful. Stopping in the halls, talking to employees, and being highly visible. Now more than ever, where there's fear and trepidation, absolutely a must-have. We know that health systems prepare and drill for disasters, but COVID-19 has challenged every hospital and every resource, labor, financial, supply chain. What are some of the lessons learned that we can apply both in the short term and the long term future for healthcare? This is going to be a very hot topic among the consulting firms. They're going to turn their attention to distilling what we've learned from this debacle. 10 to 15 years ago, when I was in consulting, enterprise risk management was a very hot topic. And it's unfortunate that a lot of institutions, healthcare, non-healthcare, unless you've experienced tragedy like a hurricane or tornado, enterprise risk management plans essentially became academic and ethereal. It'll never happen to me. I think the biggest lessons learned is going to be around abject lack of preparedness at literally every level, the hospital, the city in which the hospital is located, the state, and at the federal level. The whole concept of strategic reserves is not a novel concept. One of the key lessons learned is we've got to have those reserves and we've got to stick to them. Training staff and talent-related issues, ensuring that everyone is prepared to deal with something like this is absolutely going to be a lesson learned. It's kind of funny because everybody talks about a second wave coming. Are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready? Every fall, health systems prepare for flu season, and they have surety of supply built. They know that their capacity is going to be challenged, but we do this every year. The question about the lessons learned is, can you do COVID and flu, or in the case of Florida and the Southeast, COVID and hurricane season? Financial management, I think, is going to be another lesson learned and making sure there's access to cash and availability of cash for all these hospitals. All of that by way of saying what's really, I think, hurt hospitals more than anything else is flying the plane into a deep fog with no nav equipment. We had no idea what was coming. These command centers were all looking at yesterday's activities or today's activities in-house. They weren't looking at where the puck was going. Therefore, we couldn't skate to that puck. We couldn't prepare for it. So I think one of the biggest lessons learned is going to be the use of data and having predictive capabilities to help on staffing, capacity management, surety of supplies on PPEs and stuff like that. I really think there's going to be tons written about lessons learned, but I think it's all going to fall under the umbrella of preparedness. The answer to this question might be different for large urban health system versus a rural system, but what do you think on this path to recovery is the biggest mistake executives could make? 
well, I don't think they're going to make it, but the biggest mistake is to assume there won't be a second wave, to become complacent. It's the mistake that we just went through. No strategic reserves at the Fed level, no strategic reserves at the state level, no reserves at the hospital level. There are other mistakes that we could make, but back to the notion of the beacon on the hill, the path to that beacon is going to be very jagged, circuitous. We're going to be going left and then going right and going left and then going right. As long as we keep looking at that beacon on the hill, we'll get there. But the biggest mistake would be complacency, I would say. Well, thanks again, Tim. This has been really terrific and really eye-opening, and it's, it's given us a lot to think about. For Tim Chapman, I'm Michael Krogman, and this has been the Hospital IQ Podcast.